Today, I'm speaking with Terry Kozlowski, who's an author, speaker, life coach, and proud Native American. Terry shares about her journey as a victim of childhood sexual abuse and the terror she experienced being abandoned by her mother and left on the streets when she was just 11. Terry eventually learned to transcend her fears and now lives her mission, helping others to do the same. You're listening to The Inspired Way, stories of everyday heroines, real life inspiration. I'm your host, transformational coach and connection catalyst, CJ Rivard. Join me weekly to hear real life inspiration and tips for tackling your life's challenges. Each week, you'll hear from a relatable woman who shares about her struggles and the tools she used to work through them. By being women of courageous action, vision, and ongoing evolution, each of us can create a ripple of positive impact, and together, we'll create a wave of change. Join us. Okay. Hello and welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Today, I am so excited to be here with Terry Kozlowski, who's joining us from Georgia. Is that right? That's it. Woodstock, Georgia. Awesome. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. I'm excited to share your story. Our listeners heard a brief intro about you already, but can you share a little more and help us get to know you before we dive in about you now? <laughs> sure. About me now. Right now I am on a, I've completed a transformational journey and I've discovered my authentic self. And through that process, I have written a book and I've been doing a podcast and I am moving forward with what I know now is my life purpose, which is to help other women overcome their fears and limiting beliefs. I love it. So important. I never until recently realized how common it was to all of us to have those fears and limiting beliefs, and they can just be so paralyzing. So I'm excited to hear about your journey. Do you have a quote you'd like to share with us to get us started? Sure. It's a very famous quote by Marianne Williamson from her book, A Return to Love. And it says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, but our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. And the reason I love that quote so much is because it really does speak to the innate power we all have, but we're afraid to actually use. The power of choice that we get to make every single day. We get to choose whether or not we're going to be happy. We get to choose whether or not we take the next step towards our dreams. But the problem is we all stay in the fear. And in mm -hmm. staying in the fear and listening to the lies of the ego, mm -hmm. we stay trapped in a place we don't want to be, in a place we complain about, instead of actually consciously making the decision, today is the day I'm going to step forward towards the life I want. Awesome. Well, that's a great quote. I've heard that before, but I need to pin it on my wall or something because I do. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think your story that you're sharing starts with childhood. Is that right? You want to take it a does. I, and... I had some very traumatic events in my childhood. I was a child of an alcoholic. My mother not only was an alcoholic, but became a drug addict. And we didn't know she became a drug addict until the traumatic event occurred. So my parents divorced when I was eight. 
and my dad got custody, which was unusual back in the early 70s for a man to get custody of two young girls. It was my sister and I were 11 months apart to the day. And we went to visit my mother when I was 11. And the first two weeks were great. Some of the best memories I have of my mother occurred in those first two weeks. Then she started drinking. And once she started drinking, it went downhill. She started using drugs. And it ended up that she allowed three Hispanic men to rape me while she watched so she could have drugs. She disappeared for three days. And on the fourth day returned to have my sister and I literally put our suitcases on the front stoop and told us to go home. Home was in Pennsylvania. We were in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We were, so we were 3,000 miles away from home. And literally she locked the door. You were 11. So my said, sister... Right? I'm 11. 11. My sister's 10. I'm trying to figure out what to do because I have what I consider my baby sister, somebody I needed to take care of. We have to get home. So I make a phone call to get a hold of my dad, tell him that we need to come home. I'm not sure exactly what I told him because I don't remember that conversation very well because I think I did all I could to protect my mother because even when I was 11, I had codependent behavior. I didn't want my mother to go to jail, which is why my sister and I didn't go to the police because we mm -hmm. didn't want my mother to go to jail because we knew what she did was wrong. Somehow we knew that, but we didn't want her to get in trouble. Yeah. So we get back home and I get off the airplane and I tell my dad I need therapy. This is in the early 80s. 11-year-olds don't know what therapy is, <laughs> but I knew mm -hmm. I needed help. So... There was an awareness in me from a very young age of something bigger than I was. And the way I explain it is I believe we all come to the planet knowing exactly who we are and what our purpose is. And when you look at small children, they are who they authentically are meant to be. Yeah. And then we yeah. domesticate them. Then we tell them, no, you can't do that. No, you don't want to do that. No, you shouldn't grow up to be oh, that. Yeah. We domesticate them, and then there's peer pressure that also domesticates them that brings everybody into some sort of conformity of what we think they should be. Mm -hmm. So then, so for 10 years, I went through the domestication process and conformed to what my parents, my dad, society wanted me to be. And I lived that way for another 20 years when I finally said, I'm miserable. There has to be something more than this that I've conformed to. And when I started looking for that is when I discovered that I wasn't being authentically me. I had put on masks. I had put mm -hmm. on armor so that mm -hmm. I could walk this world because when you're not authentically yourself or the ego tells you, if you are authentically yourself, you're not going to be liked. Yep. Then you put armor on, you put masks on, you take on these roles and we identify now with roles instead of our authenticity. So I was a mother. I was a wife. I was a daughter. I was a granddaughter. I was all these things. I was a volunteer. I stayed at home mom. I did all these roles that I had and I identified myself with those roles. So if any of those roles failed in any capacity, I failed. Who I was was a failure. And the reality is that's not at all the case. Those Missteps, because I now call them missteps. I don't call them failures because missteps are those steps that you didn't mean to take, but there's a lesson for you to learn. Yes, and is. when you go through life and understand that everything is meant for our growth and our expansion of our soul, 
that we end up having lesson after lesson after lesson until we become our authentic selves. And eventually our soul will come to fruition because that's our journey here on planet earth. So what prompted your revelation that you said you were miserable? What prompted you to seek change? The aha moment I had to seek the major change later in life was, we can start when I was 18. There was one gigantic step in 18, which was a complete mind shift because I had been told in college by a friend that I got something out of being the victim. And that upset me greatly because those of us who are victims really identify with our victimhood. You know, we're victims, we were traumatized. But I sat with that because something about it struck me. And what I ended up realizing was if I stay in victimhood, then I never come out on the other side. I never become Mm -hmm. a survivor if I stay a victim. So the first mindset shift I had was when I was 18 and I decided, okay, I'm going to be a survivor, not a victim. And what that entailed was then from this day forward, the day I decided I was a survivor, I had to take responsibility for my life. Yes, bad things had happened, but I was now making the decisions. I was choosing to go to college. I was choosing to date this person. I was choosing to take this job. My mother and the trauma had nothing to do with what Mm -hmm. I was doing now. I was making those conscious decisions. So therefore, if I made a wrong one, I could not say, well, I was traumatized. I had a bad childhood. I had a bad mother. I couldn't say that because I was now as a survivor taking responsibility for my choices. And when you do that, when you take responsibility for the choices that you are making, you empower yourself because that means I can change. I don't have to be whatever I had been told by my mother a week. I was weak. I was never going to survive. I wasn't going to be any of those things because I could make a conscious decision to move in a direction that I wanted to. That's such a huge shift and or aha at such an early age, I think. I'm very impressed with that, that you realized it so early on. That's great. So at that point, you were ready to be a survivor and not a victim. Got it. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. One of the aspects with fear is for me, because my trauma occurred when I was 11, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the first one is survival. So Mm -hmm. I always had a roof over my head and and food and that kind of stuff. The second one is feeling safe. Well, I didn't feel safe after I was 11, because if your mother can't love you and your mother can't, won't protect you. Yeah. Who else is on the planet is going to do that? That's what a mother does. So I never, after I came back, I never felt safe. And it took me almost 15 years before I felt safe. And interestingly enough, I didn't quite understand what the feeling was. I met my current husband and we were talking and I felt funny. And I'm like, what is this? I don't understand what I'm feeling. And it took me a while, took me a couple of months to figure out this is what safe feels like. Oh my. Because at that point, the fear that had just always been present was no longer there. And when I realized that, and then he and I got married, we ended up that 
because now I was safe, all the other levels of Maslow's hierarchy needs, I could now pursue. I could find out who I authentically was because if you don't feel safe, yeah, you can't do that. If you don't have food and shelter and you don't feel safe, you can't start exploring any other aspect of your yeah. life. What do, what do I like? You know, I didn't know what I liked because I was always working from a place of fear. So when I started looking at, okay, now I'm safe. Now I know what this feeling feels like. I can get comfortable and feeling safe. I can start then looking at other aspects of my life and growing. Awesome. Yeah, makes perfect sense. That was when you were able to continue to evolve. That's mm-hmm. great. And that, an that occurred story. 10 years after I became a survivor. So I was 28 when um, my husband and I got together. That's great. So tell us a little bit about your life now. I'm an author now. Yeah. And I had, if you'd asked me prior to turning 50, if I ever was going to write my book, I would have said no. I did not want to write my book. And then the year I turned 50, I became pregnant with a book. And (laughs) that's a great expression. I haven't heard that. (laughs) That's the only way I can describe it because the reality was the title came to me and I wrote a poem and the poem is six stanzas in the book of the six chapters. And I just, I said, okay, I feel like I need to write. So I sat down at the computer. I'm working 50 hours a week in a full-time corporate job. And nights and weekends, I would sit at the computer and it poured out of me. In nine months, I had a first draft and I ended up having to do lots of editing. And in this October of last year, I got a book contract and the book came out February 12th of this year. So Raven Transcending Fear was a three-year birthing process but you know, the year I turned 50 is when the book decided to come to be. I love that story. That's incredible. Well, congratulations. Now you're a published author and we will include a link to that in the show notes because I think a few in our audience will want to go check that out. So do you have major lesson that we haven't really highlighted yet that you want to share from your journey until now? that you learned from your trauma and journey out of it to becoming a survivor? Perception is the key to how we change. So humanity is very adaptable, but the thing about humanity is that we stay stuck because we believe the lies of the ego. The ego has a job to do. The ego is meant to tell us, hey, You're picking berries in the forest. There's a bear over there. Let's pay attention and get out of the bear's way. We don't have that in society anymore. So the ego still is going to try to say, hey, you were sexually abused by three Hispanic men. So now every Hispanic man that you see, you need to be careful of. Mm. So that is part of what the ego does. So I can now say to the ego, I've worked with Hispanic men. They're lovely individuals. I have had more positive experiences with Hispanic men than negative ones. So I can say to my ego, thank you for giving me the warning. There's no need to be concerned. And that fear will melt away. That angst that occurs when the ego says, hey, pay attention to this. Mm -hmm. So when we change our perception and we look at something from a different set of eyes than the fearful eyes, 
that we had from whatever the trauma was or whatever past experiences we've had, we can change how the future looks. So one of the big takeaways is the past is not an indication of the future. Everybody thinks the opposite, but the past is not an indication of the future because you have the control and you have the choice to say, no, I'm going to choose a different path to take this time. That is so true. I've actually, I think that there might be quotes somewhere that I don't know. I know I've seen that before and thought, oh, that's good because it's so true. And people forget and we get caught up in our past and what it means now. And now we have new choices, new perceptions and new places to go. That's great. That's a really important takeaway. So do you have one habit or I'm sorry. If you don't like the past you had, choose a different path. That's all it takes is don't do the same thing again. I think it was Einstein Mm. that says doing the same thing over and over and over again is um, not the way to solve a problem. You have to Mm. look at it with different eyes. The definition of insanity is (laughs) to do the same thing over Mm. and expect different results. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Do you have a particular habit or practice or something that you feel like really helps keep you in the positive state of mind now, some kind of practice that you recommend people try? I have a whole morning routine that I do. It's, I give myself the first hour of the day is Terry time. And it is time where I meditate for 15, 20 minutes. I journal for three pages. I write some I am statements. The I am statements are very powerful because we all say things and have a great impact on our psychology. So if we say I'm tired or I'm so busy, you're always going to be so busy and you're always going to feel tired. So instead I say, I'm a master of time. I'm in a constant flow state and I accomplish all I'm to do today. And I start every morning with some I am statements to remind myself that I am in control of how this day goes. Brilliant. I love that. That's good. A master, say that again. I am a master of time. (laughs) I'm a master of time. I'm a master of time. I'm in a constant flow state and I will accomplish all I am to do today. So even if my to-do list is very long and I don't get it all done, at the end of the day, I know I've accomplished what I was supposed to do today. Mm-hmm. And I bet you're and super productive. And then there's productive. no shame and, there, and there's no guilt for not completing my to-do list. That's awesome. Yeah, I like that. Much wisdom shared. Thank you. We mentioned your book. Can I share how people can find out more about you or uh, get in touch, find your book? Where shall we send Absolutely. them? Absolutely. Absolutely. So my website is terrykozlowski.com. My book is at raventranscendingfear.com. And my podcast called Soul Solutions is socialsolutionspodcast.com, where I dive in um, each week on Tuesday mornings. It, it goes live. I dive in for about 15 minutes into one topic where you come away with actionable things that you can do to help overcome your fears and limiting beliefs. I love it. 
Yes, I bet there's a lot of golden nuggets in just 15 minutes, you guys. So we can all afford that and go check out the podcast. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and all of your wisdom, your journey with us tonight. I know that there were some great takeaways that a few people have been inspired by today. So thank you for sharing. And thank you for tuning in. We will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to join our free women's Facebook group if you're not there already. That's where all the action is taking place. And sign up for our newsletter. When you do, you'll receive a complimentary growth plan template. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.